This has been a war! A fatal four-way war with casualties! Hello, my name is Chris White, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where we are going back in the time machine to September of the year 2000 to bring you all your WWF coverage for the month, including a full review of the Unforgiven pay-per-view. Joining me for this episode, we have Billy Johnson. Billy, great to have you back on again. How are you doing? Uh, Afternoon, Chris. Yes, wonderful, and I hope you're all good yourself, sir. Yeah, very good, sir. Uh, Not... uh, just uh, not too bad. It's been a it's been a good year for the WWF, I have to say. Uh, we seem to have bounced back from uh, a very sort of top heavy undercard bad couple of years, um, and uh, I'm hoping that by the end of uh, our review of Unforgiven, we'll have had another month in the books that uh, we can chalk up as being positive for the WWF. But we'll have to see. So I'll start by uh, going to run through a few of the sort of biggest news related, uh, biggest WWF related news stories of the month. Really, there's only one place we can start, and that's the official return of Stone Cold Steve Austin. So it was announced throughout the month on TV, your Royals and your Smackdowns, that he would be officially making his return at the Unforgiven pay-per-view on the 24th. And he had one thing on his mind, finding out who was responsible for bringing him over Last year, who hit him with that car and in storyline put him on the shelf for the best part of the year? So his official return to WWF TV uh, would also be the following night, the first Raw on TNN, the 25th of the month. And uh, we'll discuss his appearances at Unforgiven during our review of the show. But first, um, just generally, how big do you think it is for them to have... Austin back. I, I think it's safe to say they seem to have coped without him probably better than any of us would have anticipated. And it's been a very good year for them, as I said at the top of the show. You throw Austin back into this mix, things are looking pretty good for the WWF. Well, yeah, you've got to figure like, like the top of the card, you definitely obviously their big start is The Rock. He's by far their biggest name. He's, he's obviously 
sells tickets. Everyone watches his segments on TV. He sells pay-per-views. He's their big draw. Uh, Austin coming back into it with him. Now, that that obviously going to be great for the top of the card. But would it necessarily will Austin necessarily be able to fit in uh, going forward? Uh, obviously, still a lot of questions about who hit him with the car. Who's going to be responsible for that? My money's on the repo man. I'm sure it's him. <laughs> Definitely sure. Uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, I, it's a different landscape in the Federation at this present moment in time. So, but it's going to take some time to see where Austin will fit in and who he's going to be put against. But do they really need him? Like, no, not really, because the company's just been on fire like ever since. He left, really, which was a bit of a surprise because you would expect business to maybe decline. But then thanks to, obviously, The Rock coming up and just catching fire like he basically did like at the end of 99. Yeah, I, I, I just don't know where I see him fitting in, but it, it's good for now. Yeah, so with that in mind, um, The Observer ran a poll this month amongst their readers and... Um, I found the results quite interesting. I'll go into them here and see what you think. So the, the okay. question posed was, should Stone Cold Steve Austin turn heel? If, I mean, if you were to say that to pretty much anyone watching WWF TV in the last three or four years, um, I think you'd have been got a baffled response. But uh, here are the, the answers that were given and okay. um, the percentages. So yes, immediately, like Ooh. as soon as he returns, was 12.5%. Okay. Yes, but in January to build up to WrestleMania was 33.9%. Um, okay. No, uh, the fans won't like it, is 19%. Uh, no, his career is wind- winding down and he should go out as a face, 7.4%. And no decision should be made right now, 27.1%. So that means that 46% of the people polled believe that Austin should turn heel in the next couple of months. Um, and the next biggest group of people are the people on the fence. So you've got to believe that a good chunk of those would, would also end up in the Austin to, uh, in the pile of campaigning for Austin to turn heel. I'm a little bit surprised that 46% of the people who <laughs> responded think that he should turn heel. Um, but is that the right option? Like, what's your, what's your take on it all? Like, are we really going to do this? <laughs> oh, I can't see how Austin could ever be a heel. Um, unless it was to all come out, you know, really bad thinking here or storylines that him and McMahon, you know, come up with this big plan um, to hit himself with the car. Who, who fucking knows? Um, at the end of the day, like being serious, like thinking about it, Austin Hill turn. I'd, I'd be up for that. Uh, maybe I wouldn't do it straight away because obviously you've got to do, tell this story of who hit him with a car and everything. And then you've got to... I think probably the best bet would probably be, yeah, the build to, to the WrestleMania. Him and... Do you do the... Do you... Do, do you delay the reveal of who hit him with the car until WrestleMania? And then after Mania, you do a big match with The Rock the next year at 
I suppose that would be Mania 18. And then yeah, he would yeah. be a hill for that. Uh, but in this day and age, is it all really like do the, the Fed do slow burn stuff? They seem to blow through quite a lot of stuff quite quickly these days. So um, right now, if his popularity is going down, which I don't think it is, then you obviously decide, yeah, we're going to turn him heel. But right now, no. But maybe with the build to Mania, who knows? I, I, I mean, if you've got this match that you can do, like you can do Rock v Austin, um, like, and it's last time they cover at Mania, then I feel like you've oh, got gotcha. to do it. But I don't know that Austin need. I don't know that either of them need to be the heel in that story. Um, I think there's very easily way of doing that face face versus face whether that's always the most popular decision i don't know i i have a hard like i i would love to see like i i'd love to see austin as a heel i wouldn't be the guy that has to make the decision to turn austin heel i feel like it's it's bold um after the last couple of years and he's i mean he's he's clearly a face like he's against the the McMahons and the people in charge and authority figures. He's clearly a face, but he's not like a typical baby face, is he? Like he's always kind of in between. You could have his character feud with pretty much anyone um, face or heel and it would work um, without him having to do a full blown heel turn. And I think the real question is what does a heel turn look like? Because like I say, if, if the heel turn is like him and McMahon fake to, car like the car incident and all of this like i i don't think you want to you don't want to do anything that sort of changes that mcmahon austin dynamic that's like been there for years i don't i don't think you want to necessarily align those two no him as a i mean i was gonna say him as sort of a loner heel works but he's basically a a loner anyway like like you do you even need to turn him heel then how different is that character going to look to the austin we've seen the last few years so he'd be totally the same person wouldn't he and it was just i don't i don't know how they get there i really don't no uh hinges on was running him down a year ago um and that kind of like to me will sort of tell us a lot about the immediate future for Austin as we sort of creep around towards WrestleMania. I mean, we've still got a long way to go before we get there, but I mean, you should be putting like plans in the back of your mind and laying the groundwork for your biggest matches, maybe already, certainly by the time you get to January. So you should have an idea of where you want to go. Um, and that reveal of whoever it is eventually revealed to be will be massive, I think. But I was just surprised that so many people believed that he should turn heel within the next few months. So in other potential uh, returns of WWF wrestlers, we've got a couple of updates from Jim Ross this month. He discussed both the Big Show and Mark Henry on the report. JR said they expect Big Show to be down in OVW for another three months minimum. He's currently legitimately about £480 at the moment. And they're hoping they're hoping that he can get down to 375 in time for a potential return at the 2001 Royal Rumble. So that's a 105 pound loss between now and then. 
that's their their aim for him, and it, we'll have to see how he gets on. Contrary to the uh, big show's weight woes, JR was full of praise for Mark Henry. He's cut around a hundred pounds uh, in recent months, and he's got down to about three hundred and fifty. And JR said that we can expect him back on TV by the end of the year. So, kind of holding up Mark Henry there is like an example for what the big show needs to do over the next three four months, and and to get himself back onto a prominent position on WWF TV. It's definitely the office's way of sending a message to the big show. I have to say, uh, I do not miss him on my TV. Um, <laughs> it, having him been gone the last, however long it's been, has been kind of a blessing uh, without him having at least one horrible match on a pay-per-view each month and one horrible match on a Raw and a horrible match on a SmackDown. And yeah, it, it, I, I really hope he can turn it around. That's quite an ambitious goal um, for him to lose that much and get in such drastic uh, change, change his body so drastically in as many months and in time for the rumble, but it's a challenge and we have to see if he's willing to, uh, to face it head on and, uh, get himself back in shape and get himself back on TV. So moving away from uh, the returns to the WWF, uh, we've got the TV for the month before we get to Unforgiven. So I'll focus on sort of overviews for the build to the two biggest matches on the show. Um, So our main event, the fatal four way for the WWF championship uh, with the rock defending against Chris Wimbar, the undertaker and Kane. And no disqualification match between Triple H and Kurt Angle with Mick Foley as the special guest referee. So on the final Raw of August, um, we saw The Undertaker cost Kane uh, a title opportunity against The Rock. We started the month with number one contenders match between Undertaker and Chris Benoit, but Kane caused the disqualification and the contendership was left undecided. The same thing would happen again later in the month. Um during a match between Benoit and Kane. Uh, uh, and uh, eventually, Mick Foley just announced that The Rock would be defending the title against all of them because we kept having disqualifications in number one contenders matches. If that seems rather straightforward and all rather secondary, you'd be right, because the biggest story of the month was really the continuation of the Kurt Angle-Triple H rivalry, and that's Stephanie McMahon love triangle. So we come out of August with Angle having attacked Hunter and Eddie Guerrero following interfering in their match uh, on Raw. It led China check it led China to uh, check on Triple H, and she gave him... Uh, a hug afterwards. Angle showed footage of this to Steph, stirring up some more trouble, creating tension between her and Hunter. It all came to a head uh, during a huge brawl on the 11th of September edition of Raw. Uh, two men getting into, yeah, as I say, a big brawl. Stephanie would accidentally become a casualty of Triple H backstage, putting ice on her head, and she pleads with him to stop fighting with Kurt. Mick Foley says it's all gone out of hand and he announces a match between the two men at Unforgiven. He himself announces that he will be the special guest referee to ensure that we finally get a winner, a decisive outcome between these two men. So we're kind of building up the fact that uh, this love triangle storyline, um, the friendship between Kurt and Stephanie, the rivalry that's caused between Kurt and Hunter and the tension between H and Stephanie 
is all coming to a head at Unforgiven. And it really did dominate TV. Um, full of praise for this storyline the last couple of months on the show. It's really, really great. And it feels like, or it certainly felt like throughout the month that Raw Smackdown, we were building to Unforgiven as kind of that final blow off for that feud. So, Billy, how much have yes. you been keeping up with WWF TV throughout this year, in particular this storyline uh, the last few months? A lot of hive praise for it on the show. What did you make of going into Unforgiven um, from the video packages and the way that show was built, the Unforgiven pay-per-view, kind of as this like final conclusion of the ongoing storyline between Kurt, Triple H and Stephanie? How has that feud worked for you? For me, personally, you know... I, I can appreciate good episodic telling television. So they, they're doing a good with their storylines. Um, they seem to be drawing in a lot more casual fans. Obviously, the ratings are doing a hell of a lot better than they were the last time I was uh, on the Fed show. Um, but TV this year, for me, is they have... They just told some very good stories. And... They seem to have nailed uh, nailed it, basically, um, into making you want to tune in every week to see what's going to happen next. They, they've done such a good job with that. Now, as for this um, Hunter, Stephanie, Kurt Angle, you know, I, I, I'm i a wrestling fan. I, I'm not interested in, uh, you know, uh, Kurt's and Stephanie's relationship, per se, what, what's going on, but... I can see like younger females enjoying that part of the of the show if they necessarily don't like what I like. So what I've tried to do is they, they have a bit of a variety going on, which is, is great because you need variety in pro wrestling. You know, it can't all be straight laced and uh, technical wrestling and all this all the time. It has to have a little bit of everything. And do you know what? Kurt Angle was absolutely nailed it. He seems to um, have really found his craft as uh, as a, an actor. Let's let's put it like that because he's put into these stories where he's have forced to really act, and he is a smarmy arsehole, <laughs> and it comes across the screen. And uh, I, I don't know where Triple H can fit into all of this because sometimes you just don't believe that he's an upset husband in any kind of way i don't want to knock triple h for his acting chops because well no wait a minute i will because he hasn't been particularly great from what i've seen i don't know if he was the right person to to put against kurt angle but um you know obviously stephanie is a very powerful heel on and they are a couple, so you can't really move Stephanie away from Hunter. So you've you've been left up with this storyline, which, again, I think is probably drawing more casuals than, per se, a hardcore wrestling audience fan like myself. Yeah, and, and it's a really good point about sort of the variety of it. And it feels like we've had a lot of this, like, storytelling weaved throughout uh raw and smackdown and <clears throat> building to the pay-per-views and uh they've been they've been really good i have to say and like this like yeah like uh, myself and rory absolutely raved about this storyline um, last month heading into SummerSlam. um 
maybe uh, not as. Um, I mean, there's there's less of the story to tell coming out of SummerSlam than there was going in. A lot of that build was was sort of told then, and and even though this is the first big singles match between the two men in in terms of this storyline, um, it, it, I think a lot of the more important sort of um, segments of the story were told earlier. But to get from sort of just Kurt being like just Stephanie's friend uh, and all the way through to where we are heading into Un- Unforgiven with this like huge grudge match. I think they've done incredibly well. Um, they've done really well to elevate Kurt Angle and he's taken every single opportunity he's been given, whether it's in the ring, um, doing a silly segment backstage with Stephanie, <laughs> or any sort of promo or anything like that. Kurt's absolutely smashed it and deserves enormous praise. Um, and I was really looking forward to Unforgiven because of this Triple H Kurt Angle match. I think I was quite blasé about blowing through just how the WWF put together the um, WWF Championship match for this show, because that's, to me, probably the level for an effort put into writing that storyline. Like, we've got a number one contenders match, DQ. We've got another one, DQ. We've got another one, DQ. All right, you're all than a contender. That's it. Like, there's nothing. There's no creativity there. Um, and that's not to diminish The Rock or his title reign or uh, even... Well, I mean, you've got Chris Benoit in another uh, WWF Championship match in the main event of a pay-per-view. Like, as a wrestling fan, that's big to me. But it's not the focus of WWF TV, and that shines through, not just because of the quality of the Kurt, Triple H, and Stephanie storyline, but also because of the lack of thought around the WWF title. And to me, that didn't hurt the build to be given, because the event, in my eyes, was the Kurt-Triple H match. That was the match I was most excited for, that was the match I was looking forward to the most, and that was the match I was more curious to see what happened. Um, I think most people would have headed into Unforgiven believing that The Rock was going to walk out with the title, no questions asked, really. Um, whereas with the Triple H um, Kurt Angle match, there's a lot of uncertainty, especially considering like um, Stephanie McMahon is such a an X factor in that match and a wild card almost. You wouldn't know how it's going to sort of develop and where, where is it going to go from there? Is this going to be sort of the the final match, even though it's kind of the first big one in the feud, is this sort of the final singles match between the two? And then we move on to something new after this, or is it, are we going to have some sort of twist and um, is Stephanie going to sign with angle or Hunter? And where do we go from here? A lot of intrigue basically. And um, a few months of excellent build leading into it. So yeah, my excitement levels for unforgiven were really quite high, but nothing to do with, <laughs> the WWF title or The Rock, which is unusual. So, with that discussed, we'll head into our review of the Unforgiven pay per view. Um, Billy, uh, could you kindly take us through the result of the show? Uh, the right to beat the APA and the Dudley Boys in an eight man tag. Uh, Taz defeated Jerry Laura in a strap match. Steve Blackman won the uh, Hardcore Battle Royal for the Hardcore Championship. Chris Jericho defeated X-Pac. Uh, Hardy Boys 
beat Edge and Christian in a steel cage match to win the WWF Tag Team titles. Eddie Guerrero defeated Rikishi by disqualification. Um, defeated Kurt Angle. And finally, The Rock beat Chris Benoit, Kane and The Undertaker. What did you make of this show? I actually kind of enjoyed this show. Um, my, my expectations were overly high going in. Um, like you said, you know, the WWF title match, the main event, it was just, oh, we've got these four guys over here. They ain't much. We'll just throw them all together in, in the main event. I, I, I didn't see the point of it happening, but it happened. You know, it was a match. But it was a very solid show from top to bottom. Um, again, they just had uh, a lot of variety on the show. There was some good storytelling and damn, that still cage match was really, really good. Yeah, I, I think um, between the return of Steve Austin, the first major singles match between Kurt Angle and Triple H um, and you, that cage match was unbelievable. I'm absolutely full of praise for that. Um, I thought this show was much better than the way it sort of been presented to us. It almost been built kind of like a throwaway show. Not maybe that sounds a bit harsh because we had the return of Austin, but it wasn't built like a uh, a big major pay per view or like it was going to be one of the best pay per views of the year. But I think it over delivered on that promise. It didn't have um anything too terrible on it <laughs> it didn't have like a ridiculous women's match segment thing like we get all too often um that yeah like we saw like last month that i refused to cover <laughs> um the, the it, i think um this was a, a show that probably had average expectations and over delivered them it wasn't perfect it did have some some low points the crowd wasn't always particularly invested or particularly hot for what was going on in the ring but I think um, the plus points were really good. And um, on the whole, for kind of like a B pay-per-view, um, this is probably one of the better ones of the year. But by, by no means one of the, the best overall pay-per-views of the year, but definitely um, an above-average one. So we kick things off with our first match, Nate Man Tag the APA and the Dudleys taking on the team of the right to censor which is Bull Buchanan the good father Stephen Richards and Val Venus so the Dudleys are out to a massive pot before Stephen Richards that says that we are in his hometown and he's here to fight the good fight and win Devon and the good father start fans are already chanting for tables Devon works him over before tagging in Bubba who gets whipped into the corner a hoe train misses before Bubba hits a back suplex for two Devon is back in and plays facing Pell for a while as right sense to work him over. He eventually gets another hot tag to Bubba, who hits the Bubba Bon on Val, sidewalk slam on the good father and a DDT on Ball. Bubba is about to get Steven, but Val attacks him from behind. The Dudleys hit uh, the Dudley device on Val as things start to break down. Good father breaks it up and then leaves the ring only to come back and just get thrown out again by Bubba. Don't know what happened there. Steven then comes in. He hits the super kick on Bubba for his first involvement in the match. Val covers Bubba and picks up the win for the right to censor. What did you make of this opening match, Billy? Uh, it was a fun little six-minute opener. Um, I never got bored during any of it. The crowd were super hot for all the action. So, you know, well done, lads. Um, 
obviously the crowd is going to be pumped because it's an opener. But still, you know, they went out there, worked in front of a hot crowd. And I, I, I've got to say, I really like what I saw from right to censor. Um, I, I haven't been kicking around for too long, but going forward, I can see them being a, a decent act for the Fed going forward. Um, and with them going over, it was definitely the right result. That You know, the Dudleys and the APA absolutely lost nothing doing the job to these guys yeah i i thought um there could have been a bit more sort of controversy to have um the dudleys lose a match in six minutes in philadelphia but uh seems to <laughs> seems to not go down too terribly although chris lacy might not have enjoyed that one um but uh yeah i i thought it was a, an okay opener sort of play by numbers an eight-man tag really um the fans were pretty much very... The fans had decided that they were going to be into this because it was an opener, so they kind of were, and the match was kind of fine. Ending was a little telegraphed after um, White Sensor just got beaten down so much throughout, and then um, the wind seemed to come a little bit out of nowhere with Stephen Richards just hitting the one super kick without really tagging... Well, he never tagged in, just hit the one super kick, and Val got the cover, and that was that. Um wasn't great, but I, I suppose for just an opener, placeholder, sort of unimportant match, I suppose, it did okay. Um, Dudley's got their heat back right after by beating down some right some of the right sense of guys, and they all bailed. So kind of just a a match that was there and didn't really um, do much apart from uphold the sort of status quo of all the men involved. So yeah, sort of thumbs in the middle opener for me. So next up, we move on to Taz taking on Jerry Lawler in a strap match. So the match can be won by pinfall, submission, or dragging your opponent and touching all four corners in succession. Um, So both men are attached to the strap, and Taz immediately yanks Lawler down, stomps on him, and hits a T-bone Tazplex. He throws Lawler through the ropes, then goes in with a strap. separates them but then Lawler comes back and chokes Taz with a strap and whips him with it as they climb back into the ring Lawler chokes Taz with the strap some more until Taz hits a low blow and gets in some whipping of his own. Taz stomps away in the corner and hits a snapmare to the mat before whipping him some more on the floor and uh, choking Lawler again with the strap. Lawler eventually fights back, he drops Taz with a right and then hits Taz with a pile driver, but Taz just pops straight back up. Lawler hits Taz with another pile driver, but again, Taz no-sells it. Lawler hits a third pile driver, absolutely nails him with this one. Taz quickly gets to his feet again, but then collapses to the mat. Lawler starts slapping the turnbuckles, he gets three of them, and when Taz finally stops him, Lawler tries lifting Taz onto his back to try and get to the final corner and win the match, but Taz accidentally kicks over the ref. Suddenly, we see Raven is coming to the ring. Lawler notices Raven just before Raven uh, drills him with an even flow DDT, and the crowd pops huge for it. Raven slips away as Taz gets the Taz mission on an unconscious Lawler, and the referee declares him the winner after around five minutes. Referees try and come in and pull Lawler off uh, Taz off Lawler, I should say, while JR is crying foul at Raven's intrusion in the match because Raven isn't even on the WWF roster. Billy, your thoughts on this? Well, uh, we talk about um, former ECW guys, you know, in Philadelphia. Um, 
Uh, here we go again, uh, Taz and Jerry Laura. Uh, I wanted to really like this match. Now, I think if these two were given some time, you know, maybe they put it in Memphis or something like that. It, it could have really worked, but, you know, they decided to give them, what was it, five minutes? So they just ended up, like, rushing through all their spots as quickly as possible. And then I really didn't like the fact that the, they seemed to uh, rush uh, basically, sorry, Taz no-selling the uh, two power drivers and then sort of sell the third one. It's like, that. that's the King's finisher. You don't need to be doing that three times. Uh, so, yeah, they, they just seem to rush through it. That annoyed me ever so slightly. And as for the Raven interference, now, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but wasn't this like all over the internet a week before where they said he was going to, get involved in this match. I'm sure I read it somewhere on one of those news yeah, websites. I think we've known, we've known for a while that Raven was coming in. I think it was, um, yeah, and, and as it's got closer and closer to the time, it became pretty apparent where he was going to slot into the WWF. And yeah, so I think it got out before the show. Yeah. So it's, it's like the crowd really reacted to, to Raven coming in. And obviously it's Philadelphia, ECW. Like they knew who he was, uh, but, I had to wonder why they sort of slotted it in in here, um, especially if it got out all over the internet. But there you go. And we've basically gone back three years in time because now it seems like Jerry Laura's feuding with ECW again. But well, who knows? <laughs> well, at least they didn't try and repeat the result from SummerSlam with Lawler going over Taz in four minutes. I'm not sure the Philly crowd would have taken too kindly to that. No, I don't think they would have. Um, but also, um, now, I don't know if I'm wrong here in saying this, but Jerry Laura went to three corners to touch the three corners like you normally do in any kind of strap match. But then Taz just won with a submission. So was it pinfall submissions and you could touch the corner strap match? I, I can't remember them ever like announcing on TV or during the match that they were going to be doing that. No, I... I did have a note that you could win by all of them, but I don't think they clarified it sort of before. I think I, I don't know where I, I noted that down from, but I don't think they said it on the show. Um, no, so it sort of made no sense to me. But it, like I said, I really wanted to like this match, but, you know, give me, <laughs> they gave me five minutes of this, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I thought the match really was kind of like, a whole lot of nothing. The strap match is kind of there. It limits the guys uh, in terms of what they can really do with each other, or what they will do. Just a lot of whipping and choking. And but I think that kind of suited what what you're going to get from Taz and Lawler, really. Um, I I don't know. I I don't think it worked wonders for Taz getting his heat back. Really, like he's. I don't want to say a lost cause at this stage, but it's going to take a lot of work <laughs> to rehab Taz um, in the WWF because, like, he lost in four minutes to Lawler last month. Um, here, he looked like he pretty much would have lost again if it weren't for <laughs> the interference of Raven, um, and he'd, he'd been laid out with their three pile drivers. And yeah, I, 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 Taz might be a bit of a lost cause. Um, maybe I don't know where he would fit up fit in higher up the card, although unbelievable matches with some of the guys on the roster. Um, I don't know that he's ever going to be put in that position, really. Um, 
But yeah, I think getting Raven in, although it got out before the show, was uh, was good. Like the crowd absolutely loved it. Big pop from them. It's the right time and place to do it when you're in Philadelphia for a pay per view, and I think it works well. Backstage, we see Kevin Kelly hanging around, waiting for the arrival of Stone Cold Steve Austin. When Austin finally arrives, Kevin, uh, Kevin asks him how he was feeling. Austin said, Stone Cold isn't here to answer questions. Tonight, I'm the one asking the questions. Before throwing uh, Kevin Kelly into the garage door and dropping some metal pipes on him. We cut back to the arena where Michael Cole, who's now on commentary having taken over Lawler's spot, said, well, I don't think Austin wants to answer questions. I think he just wants to ask them. Just literally word for word repeating what Stone Cold had just said. Infuriating. Like he's been there minutes and I was raging at Michael Cole. Just, just not a good commentator. <laughs> I need Lawler back there as soon as possible. Moving on, uh, we have this hardcore invitational for the hardcore title. So it's between Steve Blackman, who's the champion going in, Al Snow, Crash, uh, Test, who's with Trish, Perry Saturn with Terry, and Funaki. So it's the same rules as that match, if you remember that, that he won at WrestleMania. Oh, yes. So, so we, this time we've got a 10-minute time limit rather than 15, but it's the last person to get the pinfall wins the title. You've got to pin the, the, the champion, as it were, or, or the champion within the match. So if someone pins Steve Blackman to win the belt, you then have to pin the person who pins Steve Blackman to get the title back. Bit convoluted. Um, was a bit of a mess at Mania. Let's see how they got on with it this time. So everyone goes after Steve Blackman to start, and this match is already as big a mess as you would have expected. Saturn (laughs) takes Trish down, and Test is pretty mad at that. So he clocks Saturn, but Snow then comes in, and he knocks Test down with head. Crash completely botches a Rana, and is more or less just powerbombed before Funaki hits a crossbody for two on the champ. Saturn hits a good moonsault that takes out Trash and Snow on the floor, and everyone's outside with seven minutes to go. Crash and Snow still in the ring doing nothing interesting that I don't really have anything to make notes on. Test is the only one who seems to be going after Steve Blackman at this point. Crash gets a shot in and pins him with just over six minutes left. He runs down the aisle to try and bail so he can get out there with the title, but runs right into a trash can shot by Saturn, who gets the pin. There isn't much to say here, except everyone's just fighting each other in the same place, and it's very messy and convoluted. With three minutes left, everyone's still in the same place they were a few minutes ago. Saturn and Blackman are ringside now, as is Snow. Saturn's in the ring. He's alone with a stick. Blackman grabs two sticks, and Snow grabs what looks like a pizza box. Snow's back in with two minutes left. Steve Blackman gets the kendo stick. He goes wild with it and beats everyone up, and he wins the title after a shot to Saturn with a minute left. Everyone goes after Steve Blackman, but they're running out of time, and he eventually hangs on because no one covers him, so the match just ends with him retaining his title. So at WrestleMania, we had 11 title changes in 15 minutes. Here we've got three in 10. Um, I wasn't a fan of the match at Mania, not a fan of this one. Felt quite flat. What did you make of it, Billy? <laughs> Jesus, yeah, I can understand why you're not a fan of uh, this type of match. It was, um, <laughs> I think the highlight of the match was El Snow with a pizza. Delegate. That that was the highlight for me of this match. It was just a variety of uh, parody of the walking brawl, you know, the, the famous walking brawl. But 
I, I don't understand why they feel like they need to shove six guys into this kind of match. Oh, let's get everyone a payday. But come on, WWE. It's just lazy, buck. It's lazy booking. I don't understand it. What, what, what's, what's the point, you know? Okay, Blackman, Steve Blackman, last month, damn near killed Shane McMahon. Let, let's, let's be perfectly honest. You know, that was a <laughs> yes. moment that they can play on their TV for years to come, decades to come even. And that's a massive moment for him. How did they capitalise on that? Well, we're just going to throw him in this mess. They didn't have anything lined up for him, which they should have done. They really should have done. And this this match just doesn't matter. I understand why it's here, but... I don't know why you've got Steve Blackman in it. I really don't. Apart from he's the hardcore champion. So, but can't we just get the hardcore belt off of him and give him something else to do? Can't we just throw this whole match away? <laughs> Not yeah, <ever>. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like the, the match itself, like when you have this 10 minute hardcore sort of title scramble, it's meant to be like chaos and insanity, but it's not. It's just a mess. Like it's meant to be like, I imagine kind of like the way you would pitch this match to someone if you were trying to get them to book it would kind of like you're going to have the kind of like TLC level of action, just like crazy spots, like the six guys in there, loads of different random combinations. They can throw this stuff. I'm not saying by any means that I was expecting a TLC level match because that was like, <laughs> On the matches of the year, but what I mean is like, there's just nothing. There's nothing special, or there's nothing here. Like it's just people hitting each other with crap weapons and plunder for ten minutes, and then it's over, and you're just like, oh, that was the thing that happened. It's just very flat, and um, I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't know that anyone has expectations over that for the hardcore title at this stage, but. Yeah, I, I, I don't think this this is hardly like so offensively bad that it was a huge detriment to the show, but it was definitely one of the lower points of the card. So backstage, we have Kurt Angle talking to some random guys about his Olympic gold medals when he bumps into Steve Austin and introduces himself. Angle says he's got a present for Austin wants to gift him an honorary gold medal to honour his comeback, but he makes sure to point out that Austin's medal isn't as big as Angle's Olympic gold medals, since Austin didn't really earn it. Austin thanks Angle for his gift by beating him down and leaving him laying while throwing the honorary medal away. So, quite the introduction to Stan Cold Steve Austin from Kurt Angle, but what do you expect? Chris, can, I just, can I just say that Kurt Angle's reaction when Steve Austin just about to throw the punch is absolutely priceless and the highlight of the show for me. I'm (laughs) sorry, but it was. It was absolutely tremendous. This is the thing that's like so remarkable about Kurt Angle. I feel like I say it every month, but like obviously the guy uh, tells us quite a lot. He's an Olympic gold medalist. Like the physical (laughs) side of things was going to be the easiest part for him. Like, I'm not saying that any Olympic wrestler could get in there and work at the level he has, because he's clearly a very, very talented professional wrestler. But um, that part should have been the area of least concern. But he's so good at promos and facial expressions and little backstage skits, and he's so good at all of that. And, like... I don't know. Like, he's just like... It was like he was born to do this. Like, he should have been 
a professional wrestler since day one almost but then you'd have lost the olympic gold medal side of his character but i i don't know i i don't think anyone expected him to be as good at his job as he is so early. <laughs> like he's he's genuinely excellent and that yeah definitely one of the highlights of the show in a very 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 funny backstage skit we move on to our next match, which is X-Pac versus Chris Jericho. I've got a little note here. It's nice to see that Jericho has come a long way since his WWF pay-per-view debut <laughs> for given a year prior in a match against X-Pac. We have a very nice sequence to start, and Jericho hits some hard chops before X-Pac takes control with a few kicks and tries the Bronco Buster, where Jericho avoids and comes back with a leg lariat. X-Pac X-Pac blocks the springboard dropkick, launches Jericho into the railing, and follows it with a tope. They brawl outside before heading back in, and a leg lariat gets two for X-Pac. He goes into a sleeper, and the crowd is pretty flat at this stage. We get a backdrop suplex for two before X-Pac hits the Bronco Buster. Jericho shakes it off and hits a powerbomb out of the corner. He hits a flying forearm, which gets two, before he hits a Bronco Buster of his own, before X-Pac grabs some nunchucks. It misses, and Jericho rolls him up for two. X-Pac goes low and gets the X-Factor, which also gets two. Jericho powerbombs him and goes into the line table, but X-Pac makes the ropes before a spin kick gets two. Jericho hits Bulldog, and the line salt is blocked. X-Pac goes upstairs. Jericho catches him coming down, locks on the line tamer, and X-Pac taps after nine minutes. What did you make of this? And uh, Well, yeah, well, first question, what did you make of this match? Well, I had the pleasure of joining you, Chris, for the Unforgiven uh, 99 show last year. So, yeah, I was a bit surprised that they decided to put this match here yet again one year later. And if if someone, you know, could tell X-Pac that DX is dead and he probably needs to get some new gear, that would probably help. Even JR at one point decided to point it out on commentary, just just burying X-Pac for wearing DX stuff when that DX uh, has... Well, I would say officially ended at King of the Ring 2000. Yes. Yeah. yeah, well, as for the match itself, do you know what? Uh, the crowd might have been dead to begin with, but they seemed to kind of get into it, like, as it kept going. And last year, if I rightly remember, you know, the crowd really wasn't into the X-Pac Chris Jericho match in any way whatsoever. So at least they've got that going for them. Well, in fact, let's just say it's because one of the individuals is incredibly over. Sorry, expat, that's not you. <laughs> uh, as for me, you know, the finish, it would have made more sense if expat did go over because he really, like, needs the rub more than Jericho. But you're not going to put expat over Chris Jericho. It's just not going to happen because Chris Jericho is... He's an upper mid-carder. He's not a mid-carder. He's not a lower-end guy like X-Pac is. So why was this match even on the card? I don't know why it was here. Is it just to get Jericho a payday? I don't understand it. And why are they trying to push X-Pac again? What does he deserve out of this? Why, why does he deserve this push? I, I don't understand it. It's like he has really done... Nothing since him and Road Dog split up. Absolutely nothing. And I, I don't know. Can, can you tell from my voice? I I feel that this was the wrong match and the wrong use of Chris Jericho here. 
Yeah. I just it, feel I feel it is. I don't I don't know why they decided to do this. I don't understand it. So my question then, like, so aside from this match in isolation, really, is right. kind of like one year of Chris Jericho, like in the WWF, and how have you sort of? It's it's been a weird year. Like it's had some pretty big highs, but like also some lows. And I don't really think it's his fault. I I, I don't know what to make of it really. What do, what do you feel? about Jericho's first year with the company? It's, it's just, it's like, they feel that he's a, 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 an established upper-card, mid-card guy, and they don't want to go with him. And, I, and I, As a, a top-level guy, it's just how do you get him there? Um, you've got all this other stuff going on. Now, I know him and Benoit, have been feuding on and off this year. Why couldn't you just stuck Benoit and Jericho here? What did did you really need to put Benoit back in the oh, main event? Oh, please don't take out Benoit's energy. Uh, uh, we have uh, just I'm have Kate and Undertaker <laughs> plodding around for twenty minutes. I'm sorry. I know that obviously Kurt Angle and Triple H were going to get lots of time, and so was the steel cage match. But even if okay, let's just say we added Jericho to the WWE title match, it probably would have maybe helped. But then maybe they don't want to do, well, he's had another WWF title match and he's failed because eventually they will get to the point where they're going to put the title on him because he's just super over. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because this feud is like absolute like bottom of the barrel, bare bones. Like X-Pac interfered um, in one of his matches. Uh, Hit him with some nunchucks. <laughs> yeah, and then... Jericho cost him a hardcore title match on Raw earlier in the month. And it might have even been on SmackDown. or And then it just... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, point A to point B, like debut pay-per-view match to this pay-per-view match, things pretty much seem they're exactly where they were for Jericho, but that, that wouldn't really tell the real story of what his first year in the company's been like. He's had some incredible highs and big moments like that they've never really capitalized on like the segment months and months ago that me and Rory really broke down in great detail where he pinned Hunter on Raw and it looked like he'd won the belt but then just handed it back an hour later and by the end of the show was like being pinned by Hunter like one two three the slowest free count ever in the middle of the ring and it's like they've had flashes of like really really great stuff with Jericho but it, it never kicks on. I, I feel like if you're Chris Jericho, you must look back at this year and feel quite frustrated. Um, I, Cause it feels like there's loads more to come. Um, and, and actually this match was probably a really good example of that because as I said, this feud was a whole lot of nothing, just like absolute f- filler on TV and filler on pay-per-view. But this match was actually really good, I thought. The styles worked really well. It was certainly better than their match at Unforgiven 99. Um, they had some nice sort of chain wrestling in here, nice nice sort of back-and-forth moments, and the finish was really good, I thought. And this was probably like just a straight wrestling match, one of the better ones on the show really, considering sort of like gimmick matches in maybe some of the other better matches um, and I think this was like a really good sort of like 
like Mark on Jericho's CV in that you put him in this sort of like dead feud, not a lot going on, and he delivers like a, a quite a good match on pay per view um, against a guy who couldn't really be less over with the crowd. Um, the crowd weren't all that into it, but I I feel like at some point Jericho's got to kick on, and whether it's that. He needs to do something, or he's not been given the opportunity to do it. It's probably a bit of both, but um, I, I feel like there's more to come, and, it, and we will get there eventually. But I, I look back at this first year, unforgiven to unforgiven, with a lot of frustration as a Chris Jericho fan. So backstage, Angle's complaining to Commissioner Foley, who's guest referee for his match with Triple H, about him being beaten up by Austin. Foley's sick of Angle's complaining, and he says that he's looking forward to to him seeing him and Triple H tear each other apart. He decides that to make sure he has less work to do, their match will be a no disqualification match. Um, so we've got no DQ stip thrown in the. Uh, Angle Triple H, which is befitting of the rivalry they've had, I think. You wouldn't want a match like that ending by disqualification. Before we get back to the ring, Austin is seen backstage walking into the Rock's locker room. They stare at each other quite tensely for a moment, but eventually shake hands and the Rock welcomes Austin back. Austin says that the Rock and him are cool, but he knows that it was Rock's renter car that was used to run him down. Austin asks if The Rock knows who it could have been, and The Rock says that it could have been anyone. Into our next match, we have this steel cage match between Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys for the WWF Tag Team titles. So I'm going to do something slightly unusual here, and actually, I'm not going to break this match down play by play. I don't think I could give it credit. Um, I, it's, it's, it's for how much I enjoyed this. I thought it was genuinely exceptional unique story and i'm going to give you kind of an overview of it here and implore you and if you, uh, it's is unlike a lot of cage matches i've seen and it's very 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 different to the T- tlc match that these two teams were involved in just a month ago um but equally as exceptional, I think like when you combine that match with this match on the resumes of these guys, it's just like astonishing like how good they are and how well they can work together in such a variety of ways. So, yeah, they gave us plenty of innovation last month and they've shown us time and time again in ladder matches. And to me, they did it again here with one of the most unique cage matches I've seen in the last few years in WWF. So Jeff Hardy was knocked outside in the early going and it left his brother Matt at the mercy of the tag champions. Every time Jeff tried to get back in the cage and make the save, Edge and Christian got the better of him and they just continued to beat down Matt into a bloody pulp. Eventually we did get the inevitable Hardy boys comeback, complete with a run-in from Lita who hit Christian with a great-looking Harkin Rana from off the top of the ladder on the outside. Uh, the drama and excitement all came to a head when Matt and Jeff, they hit uh, Edge with a concerto on top of the cage. Edge took a great bump down. The Hardys climbed to the outside and became the new tag team champions. I absolutely loved this. I thought from the storytelling side of things, this was just brilliant. And um, like I say, you had the sort of ladder-based spots, spot fest of the countless ladder matches they've had, TLC match they had at SummerSlam. And, and now you've got this story-driven um, steel cage match that 
just to me, just speaks volumes about how good all these four guys are. Billy, what did you make of this steel cage match? Jesus, Chris, I couldn't praise this enough like yourself, my man. Um, just absolutely incredible storytelling from start to finish. It's like for one, for one, like we'll take one spot here. Uh, Jeff goes crashing off the top of the cage and he's ruled out. So obviously Matt's in there on his own against Edge and Christian. Now, for instance, let's just say two, three years down the line, the Hardys get broken up and Matt goes hill. He can blame that on his brother. You know, that's that's a great little spot that you give yourself a, a, something to work a program off coming down the line. So well done for them doing that. This was just absolutely everything. Like Matt selling was tremendous. He was like the... It was like he was Ricky Morton in his prime, <laughs> just like selling and making the kids cry. And damn, I was with him like every step. I was like, come on, man, you, you, you got this, man. Like, I know wrestling's a work, but I was in the moment for it. Everything. It, it felt so real. It was it was Matt's greatest uh, achievement, really, because let's be perfectly honest. Um, a lot of us know that Matt Hardy's quite a a very talented guy, but Jeff gets a lot of the praise for the team. Yeah. Now, because obviously he's the one that does the insane crashing and burning. But for me, Matt Hardy looked like a star here. He was just everything. His psychology was spot on. His selling was amazing. His comeback, he just timed it all to perfection. It's just absolutely class. And obviously, you know, Edge and Christian, they are got so much heat, so it worked so well. And the crowd was just so wanting them to become the tag team champions again. Now, obviously, last month with SummerSlam being in North Carolina, you sort of expected the Hardys to win it there. But thank God they delayed it and decided to do it here because this was just incredible. If the Hardys were going in tag team champions in this, you couldn't have told this story and they've just absolutely smashed it out of the park. You know, I really like that TLC match. I like their ladder matches, but damn, you know, and this is coming from a guy that appreciates spot fests. I think hands down even better than them. I'm not going to get some heat for that, but this was just incredible stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, as a follow-up to that amazing TLC match involving these two teams at SummerSlam, it's just remarkable to showcase such a different skill set in having like a story-driven sort of emotive match um, rather than that sort of like crazy, insane car crash spot fest. Um, yeah, a fantastic way for the Hardys to win the belts for the first time in over a year, which is hard to believe. Um there were some exceptional spots in this and obviously like high risk and crazy offense and stuff, but it wasn't really that part of this match that no, <laughs> it was the story that, that really set it apart for me. Um, yeah. Good wrestling, great spots, fantastic story, highest recommendation for this. Um, not as good as it's not, it's not one of those that's going to end up on any match <laughs> of the year, year lists because simply because these teams have probably had a better match the month before. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this was genuinely excellent, uh, match of the night by far for me. And, um, 
yeah, huge recommendation to go out of your way to check it out. Backstage, Stephanie McMahon was so thrilled to see Steve Austin that she revealed that she'd spent the past year holding on to the hat he was wearing that night when he got run over. Returning its hat to the the hat to its rightful owner, she also let Austin know that Shane apparently had actual video evidence of the mystery mystery assailant's identity and that she should he should go track Shane down and ask him about it. Across the way, Steph's husband Triple H was confronting Mick Foley to ensure that he'd be pulling the mat right down the middle later. We head to the ring for our next match with Eddie Guerrero defending his Intercontinental title against Rikishi. Eddie gets dominated early and tries to bail, bail out. China calls him out on it and shoves him back inside the ring. China saves Eddie from the stink face and inadvertently distracts Rikishi long enough for Eddie to come off the top with a crossbody. The frog splash misses and Eddie gets an avala- gets avalanched into the corner. Rikishi goes after China and gives her a thrust kick for some reason. That earns him a DQ. And that's the end of the match. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, Rikishi then gives her the bonsai drop and walks out. Eddie retrieves his title and then goes to check on China. What did you make of this? Well, Chris, uh, two thirds of the people involved in this match were over. Unfortunately, the third in Rikishi was not over in any way whatsoever. No one seems to give a hoot about him. Uh, look. I, I like Rikishi, you know. I've got no nothing against him. It's just, why are you putting him in this spot? I can understand you're doing this match on TV. No problem with that whatsoever. But on a pay-per-view, did you really need it? I, I don't think you really needed this match here. And Really, the story is more about Eddie and China. It's not about Rikishi. Rikishi's just been shoehorned into this program for probably a month it's probably the end of it to to me it's like i said it would have been perfectly fine on tv but a pay-per-view match no it didn't need to exist this match it just didn't need to be here yeah this match was not good felt like a bit of a placeholder to tide things over between the cage match as we got into the sort of main events of the show. Um, wasn't much of a match. Finish was really crappy. Um, it's, it's a shame because I really enjoyed the Eddie and China storyline as we head like as we head into this. I think we've had some really entertaining stuff. Like the stuff with like um Eddie being upset with China posting the Playboy, going to the Playboy mansion to try and stop from being released like then China being like heartbroken finding this all out Eddie then like covering it all up just by proposing to her all of that like it's very over the top it's very uh, yeah played up and it probably only works because of how great Eddie is um, he's he's brilliant um, but I've really enjoyed all of that I think it's just silly but it's fun and it's kind of like when you've got like a lot of like big serious stuff going on higher up the card it's sometimes fun to just have like storylines that aren't necessarily built with seriousness at sort of the front and center and like, this it's just fun and wacky a bit different and everyone in it is great and eddie's definitely over i think their storylines popular um and it's just a bit silly and a bit fun and it's a shame that that wasn't really reflected in what we saw from uh, Eddie 
and Rikishi on this pay-per-view here, but I mean, they had about five minutes. It, it ended <laughs> a silly DQ. I'm not really much sure what else you could have got out of it, but it's definitely a, a storyline that I hope to see more of um, with less matches like this, for sure. Well, Chris, here's an idea for you. Why didn't they just scrap the hardcore Invitational and do Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho? You know, Chris Jericho's had uh, association on TV with China. It probably would have made more sense. We would have had a much better match. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, this is the thing. Like, I, we've said it on quite a few pay-per-views this year. Like, King Ring was really notable because the tournament was so flat. Where he's like, you've got some unbelievable workers on the roster. And, like, yeah, instead of Jericho X-Pac and, and Eddie Rikishi, like, I, you could... There's a way you could do Jericho Guerrero, and then even if you throw on Rikishi and X-Pac as well, just to keep those on the show, yeah. like, I'm sure Rikishi and X-Pac could have a perfectly fine six-minute match. Like, the, the, there's there's no doubt in my mind that they could have a, a, a fine-to-good six-minute match on a pay-per-view, sort of like second or third on the card. Like, mm. And then, like you say, Eddie V... Um, Jericho for the Intercontinental title in this slot that goes from being bad to average as Eddie and Rikishi was to perhaps <laughs> um, yeah that's a really good point um, I I don't know <laughs> I don't know <laughs> things like don't work like that and you're right to point out that like again Jericho's got those ties with China in the past and could fit into that slot probably a lot than Rikishi does yeah I it's the kind of thing I'd like to see and I don't know why we, we don't to be honest miss opportunity so next up it's time for the garage match between Triple H and Kurt Angle but before we get into the action Kurt Angle's to sing happy birthday to Stephanie before the match <laughs> Angle goes after Triple H's ribs in the early going but Hunter battles back and they brawl on the outside. Eventually, they re-enter the ring. Angle hits an overhead belly-to-belly and beats down on Hunter. Triple H comes back with a DDT on Angle and covers for two. Hunter disputes the count, and Angle takes advantage to hit a bridging German suplex for a near fall of his own. Angle also disputes this count and shoves Foley, but Foley shoves him back, knocking him over and encourages him to focus on wrestling Triple H instead. They go back and forth some more in the ring until Angle whips Hunter over the ropes. Triple dismantles the announce table, uh, but Angle avoids being placed on it. Hunter hits a suplex on the outside, then hits Kurt in the back with a chair and places him on the announce table. He sets up for the pedigree, but Angle hits a low blow and then an overhead belly-to-belly suplex to Triple H through the Spanish announce table behind him. That looked great. Angle brings Hunter back into the ring and hits multiple shoulder thrusts into his taped-up ribs, knocks him back outside. He hits a belly-to-belly off the top, but Triple H kicks out. He applies an abdominal stretch, but Hunter refuses to give up and gets out of it with a hip toss. Kurt Angle then knocks down Triple H and goes for a moonsault, but Triple H dodges. Hunter fights back and hits a knee smash, but his arm is too banged up, so he just hits it using the single underhook instead. Hunter then calls Steph into the ring and says that now's the time she has to choose. She hits Kurt low, and then Hunter hits a regular pedigree for the pin. Stephanie's definitely not thrilled, but she looks more sort of shocked than anything. 
Hunter then aggressively, it has to be said, kisses Stephanie and then they leave together. That felt very much to me of the story. Like, there's not... That was definitive. Stephanie got involved, kicked Kurt low, pedigree in the middle of the ring, one, two, three. I'm not saying their rivalry's over, but that love triangle certainly is. What did you make of it all, Billy? Well, it's almost like as if someone in the back decided to say, you know, that doesn't work for me, brother, whatever they had planned for Kurt Angle. Because, (sighs) to be fair, it feels like this feud has got legs and it could carry on. Like I said, it seems to be drawing attention of more casual fans, uh, younger women are obviously enjoying the aspect of it. So what I was really hoping for here, and I think a lot of the crowd uh, who were there watching it live, I think they thought, because they were dead throughout and they were sitting on their hands, that they were waiting for the finish. And the finish would be Stephanie would turn on Hunter and Hunter obviously would be pinned and beaten by Kurt Angle. And then the new power couple in the World Wrestling Federation would have ended up being Steph and Kurt Angle. But that's not what we got. And the, the, the crowd, which was already quite flat throughout the entire match, was even flatter. And like you say, Chris, it kind of feels like that was a definitive, it's over, it's done with. Hunter's moving on to something else now, which is... A bit of a shame because, you know, like I said, it's it seemed to have legs, this programme. Now, as for the match itself, solid. Great work from both. I enjoyed it. 17 minutes. Maybe it was a little bit too long. It could have possibly cut out a couple of minutes here or there. But it, it does make me wonder, where does Kurt Hangle go from here? Is this loss going to hurt him? Now, I know he's lost other matches on pay-per-view before, and that didn't hurt him, but I really feel like this being such a big story and this being a really big moment for Kurt that it's going to hurt him ever so slightly. But again, only time will tell, and we will see where he goes from going forward here. Yeah, I've seen some really negative reviews for this match. As far as I can tell, it's it's kind of based on the expectation that Stephanie should have turned Triple H and sided with Angle. But I think the reality is that it was probably never likely that that was on the card. And I think in the long run, it's probably better for both men that it doesn't happen. Um, I think Hunter's... The character Triple H is definitely better with Stephanie McMahon by his side. I think that's a stronger act with that pairing. And I think Kurt Angle, not that he doesn't need Stephanie, but yeah, I don't need Kurt Angle as a power couple. He's 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 well-rounded enough as this sort of like brash, arrogant Olympian. Um, and I think you could take his character full baby face or like full obnoxious hill and he's kind of been back and forth between the two he's very good at the comedy side of things as well um yeah i i think this match was is good 
I don't think it lived up to my <clears throat> very, very high, it has to be said, no, but expectations. I simply, I just expected, I, uh, when I was watching it, I just continued to just take it up a gear. Like, it, it, it didn't feel like a main event. And I know it wasn't the main event, but it, it, was, it was pretty much the most built match on the show. And I was, it, it felt like it, they were kind of like, I, I mean, we don't really do star ratings, but it, it kind of felt like we were at sort of like three and a half, three and a half, three and a half. And you're yeah. just waiting for Spark to just take it up to four, four and a half. Like you're just waiting for something to happen or some, some moment or just the pace to go up a couple of gears. And it never really did. And I don't know if that was like, um, not planned as such, but I mean, we, we do have a, WWF title main event to come. Maybe you don't want to have like this like high octane bar, bar burner and then follow it with a title match that's a bit flat. I don't know, but I, I I feel like there was more that both of these guys could have given here. Um, and it is maybe a bit of a downer note because I I definitely thought watching the show like that is the end of that love triangle storyline. Like there's no there's no Stephanie looked a bit shocked and a bit sort of like hurt at what she'd done, maybe, or surprised at what she'd done. Um, but that it was definitive. Like it was that was it. Like he mm. hit the pedigree already. Um, Stephanie then got involved, low blow, another pedigree, and we're out of there. And um, there should be no questions about where Stephanie's loyalties lie from here on. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go because I, I think you can keep this rivalry going but maybe with someone else involved in a triple threat kind of dynamic it, the the focus between these two men will no longer be Stephanie for me coming off of this match so to me the storyline's done because um, it was all built around both men individual relationships with Steph um, yeah I, I, I thought it was a good match I thought it was probably slightly underwhelming based on what I thought it could have been like, and I probably would have wanted a bit more out of the end of such great storytelling over the last couple of months on WWF TV. But overall, this was definitely a plus uh, for the pay-per-view on the whole. Um, and I don't think it was a negative match as, as I've seen some people say online. Um, but uh, yeah, I wanted a bit more from this one. Do you not feel though, Chris? They've sort of left money on the table. I don't need to keep harping on about it or going on about yeah, it. Yeah, but... no, I do. I do agree. I feel like they have. Um, this, I feel like the feud deserved more than one, one page. Yeah, um, and it's almost like in a, I don't know, in a in a, another world. Uh, oh, maybe it could happen. Like, but in another, you kind of would want if you were booking the couple of months through the eyes of getting the most out of this storyline and these men you kind of want hunter to beat the rock for the belt next month and yeah. then uh, to have maybe a month where he's a bit lower but by the end of it gets a big win and puts himself in position to be the number one contender heading into survivor series and then you have 
Hunter defend against Kurt Survivor Series. But I mean, if you're asking, like, that's that's purely through the lens of how do you get more out of this? I would, there's no way I'd be putting the belt on Triple H and taking it off the rock. I wouldn't do that. But yeah. if if your sole focus was acting more from this feud, then that's how you could do it. Um, but I, I think that would that would hurt the WWF elsewhere. I don't think you should be taking the belt off the rock through at least Mania, really, from this point. Um, yeah. What would what would what? How would you? hope things sort of play out from here well I, I would have definitely gone down the route of the power couple route um i could just see there being more money in the hunter chasing uh kurt angle as the scorned ex-husband that was wants to get revenge and obviously kurt angle is pretty good at the chicken shit hill routine i think you've got the mcmahon's there fantastic but obviously they decided not to do that now we Kurt, I, I don't know where you put him next. Is it does he go back down the card? He's got to go back up the card. You can't do him and Taker again because that's already been done on pay per view. You can't do him and Benoit because they're two hills. Maybe you can do him and Jericho. That would be entertaining. But again, it feels like a step down for Kurt Angle. So I don't know where they go. Uh, as for Triple H. And Stephanie, again, I, I can't see where they take them next. Is it Hunter versus Rock at No Mercy? That would be a yeah. perfectly fine, yeah, again, perfectly fine B-level pay-per-view main event. But we've seen it so many times, so do they need to go back to that? No, I don't really see that. So I don't know <laughs> where these two are now going to be positioned on the card or, or who they're positioned against going forward. Because like we said, this seemed like very definitive and it's over. This feud is done with. Uh, I just don't see why they decided to do this unless they've got something else really big planned for Kurt Angle and Triple H going forward. I, I don't know. Maybe... <sighs> It felt definitive and it felt final to me, but maybe we, maybe it's not the end. Maybe they would have another match at No Mercy. I, I don't know. Um, but how do you build it from this? That's the problem. I guess if you... It didn't seem to be how they were playing it, but you could have... If Steph had gone full heel here with Hunter and like, mm. like maybe like acted like she was going to help Kurt, then like low blowed him and cackled and gone for sort of hill yeah then you go full face with kurt wouldn't you and you can run it back and this time it's kind of like he's not fighting for stephanie he's fighting for revenge and, and you you run it back and he can like do a few wacky bits here on there against stephanie and hunter not 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 just against Hunter. I mean, that's a different dynamic, and you could go that route. Yeah, but you could. Yeah. The the end of this match didn't seem. Although Stephanie was very clearly aligned with Triple H, I don't think she had gone like full maniacal hill, like, and completely turned her back on. If you know what I mean. Yes, uh, I do. Even, I even though so. she she hit him low, but yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't like a um. I don't know. I. It, it felt like just a way to end the storyline rather than 
anything being fully just I don't know it didn't feel like it's going to continue though I don't know it'll be really interesting to see what they do going into the early months of uh, early couple of weeks of October on TV but I didn't feel like it was going to continue that dynamic anymore and it'll be interesting to see what they do I think there's a few options but I'm not sure that any of them are that good (laughs) um yeah so we'll have to see when uh, we get some more Raw and SmackDown on our screens. But before we get to the main event, we've got um, another segment. Shane comes out to the ring and he's here to tell us about the video proof of who ran down Austin. He shows a video from Raw in 1999 when uh, Steve Blackman, who Shane is currently feuding with, obviously, uh, backed his car into Ken Shamrock. And because of this, Shane says that Steve Blackman has a history of vehicular assault and it must mean that he was the man that ran down Austin. Blackman comes out and Austin comes down to the ring to follow. Austin initially gives Blackman a stunner and Shane gets some beers for Austin to celebrate together with him but then Shane takes a mouthful of beer and takes a stunner of his own. Shane does a great spit take while getting hit with a stunner and Austin's search for who ran him down will continue. So uh Billy, now's a good point to sort of pause. We've I've spoken about sort of the little backstage skits that Austin's been involved in throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Um, they built this up. They announced it on SmackDown earlier in the month that Austin would be returning <laughs> at Unforgiven, and he's he's here to find out who ran him down. <laughs> that never really happened. Like they they no. teased this announcement with Shane, but it's just this cop out Steve Blackman video. Obviously, Shane gets a stunner for his nonsense, but I don't know. It's been a long time without Stone Cold Steve Austin. Obviously we, we saw him appear at, at backlash and mm-hmm. little bits here and there, but was, am I the only one, only one who was a little bit underwhelmed by Austin on this show? Although the segments backstage were brilliant, like the interaction with Kevin Kelly and angle and even the one with the rock. Um, I was a bit disappointed. Well, yeah, because they had built it up that they're going to... Well, they never actually said that they would reveal who hit him with the car, but they, you know, it's the World Wrestling Federation. You expect them to do something crazy with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it was, i got to admit, Chris, it was all a a little bit underwhelming. Like, as soon as he returns, this really bothered me. Like, when he sees Kelly Kelly and they're talking... And then they immediately throw to the announcers and then the announcers immediately start talking about it and then they immediately re-show that again. That's a bit too much stone cold. All right, get your big star is back and everyone is excited to see him. But you could have thought of something a little bit better for him. I really do. I, I, I don't think the big reveal needs to be done on this show here. I think what you could have done is you could have had I don't know, it's because he's an old school wrestling fan. Have a masked man attack him or something like that. Who who knows? Um, But it was very underwhelming. What do they do? You know, I'm not a booker. I I have no idea how you pigeonhole Stone Cold Steve Austin back into this programme. When it clearly, and I don't mean to be horrible here, hasn't really missed him since he's been gone. Yeah, I I think they've done exceptionally well without him. 
Um, he's clearly going to be a big plus having him back. Um, and and you're right that they never said right like oh we're going to find out who ran him down, but just the idea of that he's coming back with like this single fire aim of finding out, and all he really did was kind of ask the rock. <laughs> <laughs> Any idea, mate? Yeah. And then Rock, no. And uh, then Shane did this nonsense with, with Steve Blackman, and he stunned them both. Like, I, I, I don't know. I enjoyed every single segment with Austin on this show in isolation, but I had higher expectations for it. You don't want to reveal right away who it was, anyway. You need to build that up and have a few twists and turns along the way. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. And when they reveal it, but it shouldn't be for maybe a month or two at least. Well, let's just put it like this: Stone Cold Steve Austin is no Perry Mason. <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> so, with that, we move on to our main event of the evening, with The Rock defending his WWF title against Chris Benoit, The Undertaker, and Kane. We're underway. Rocky pairs off with Kane, while Undertaker beats down Benoit in the corner. Rock and Kane win their respective battles and then go toe-to-toe, but the other guys attack and they switch off. Kane and Taker go at it in the ring, while Rock and Benoit fight through the crowd. Taker drops Benoit on the barrier and pulls... and and teams up with the Rock to uh, throw Kane to the floor. Rock pulls Taker off the top and clotheslines him to the floor. Kane returns and accidentally takes out the referee, and that allows uh, the Undertaker to smash the Rock with a chip. Benoit grabs the chair and nails the Undertaker uh, with it. He goes for the cover and we get a one, two, three. Chris Benoit has seemingly just won the WWF title in less than seven minutes. But for the second time in three months, just like last time, out comes Mick Foley. He tells Benoit that he hasn't won the title and he orders that the match be restarted. We'll talk about this more afterwards, but Foley taking the the title of Benoit for the second time in three months. We're just screaming for Benoit to take Foley out of retirement for this like technical hardcore feud, aren't they? Like, oh, it would be so good. Oh Make, god, yeah. <laughs> maybe in all time. Yeah. Take turns to uh, team up on Benoit, but their alliance doesn't last too long. Uh Rock wipes out Taker with the steps, so Benoit jumps Rocky and lays him lays in a series of chops. He hits the headbutt on the Rock, but Rock comes back and puts Benoit in the Cripper crossface. Kane and Taker make the save. Rock sets up for the people's elbow on Kane, but Benoit cuts it off. Rock takes the last ride, but Kane saves. Uh, Kane and the Undertaker spill over the top. Benoit starts nailing them with chairs. He gets a cross face on the rock, but Taker save, makes a save and hits a choke slam. Kane ensures Taker can't get a pin, and they go back to slugging it out. The rock recovers. He hits Benoit with the rock bottom, gets the pin, and retains the WWF title. What did you make of this? First off, Hunter and Kurt Angle should have been the main event. I think we've touched Agreed. on that up and down. <laughs> we've said this. And again, we're going to say this again. It was a match that was just thrown together on TV. It's four guys. We haven't got anything for them to do. So they're just going to be in this match. It screamed hell show level material that they put on your main event of the Unforgiven. Now, UK pay-per-view level. God, yeah, insurrection, you know, level stuff going on here. It was a shame because, you know, all four guys deserve something a little bit better. 
It could have been just a little bit more creative with what they had planned out, but this is what we got. This is what we ended up with. And do you know what, Chris? I just checked out throughout most of the match. I, I, I couldn't have cared less about it. And that's someone that really likes The Rock and thinks he's a tremendous superstar, like, like clearly above everyone else in this company. I, I really enjoy what he does on TV each week, but this match just, it meant nothing. And I, I, can we talk about the Benoit thing? We, we can definitely talk about it. Yeah, because that, it bothers me that they keep, I don't know, is it they're fucking with the boys in the back just to say, <laughs> haha, we're putting it on a worker? Oh, no, we're not. Or they just ribbing Benoit? It's, it made no sense. I don't understand it. I, I can understand them doing it at fully loaded because it sort of made sense to the story that they were telling in that match. But here, it made no sense. It was just like, oh, six minutes, he's got Chris Benoit's WWE champion. Oh, oh, no. Here comes Foley again. Oh, for fuck's sake. Did anyone even that. buy this one either? Like, at fully loaded, no. there's, there's a half chance that you, you, you're there for it. But this one was done in such a stupid way that I just thought, well, he hasn't won it though, has he? Like I knew that he, yeah. I knew the show wasn't about to go off with Chris Benoit winning it after like six minutes with a chair shot on the Undertaker. Like I just, yeah, there's no way. I know, no, no one's buying it. I just don't understand why they decided to do it unless they were just, you know, it was done for a cheap pop in the back for the boys. I don't understand it. A, a lot what of about that wild card option. The that the, the I'm I'm trying to like will into existence this potential right. Benoit Philly feud. Come on, it's <laughs> got to be on the card. Someone's got to have had a word about it backstage, right? Someone's got to say it's twice Chris. now. But you Chris. know, would be up for it. You know, he'd you know he'd be back in a heartbeat. You tell him he's got a mania match with Chris Benoit. Do you know what? I'd fucking love to see. It. I don't mean to swear, but Jesus, I would love to see that match. Yes. I would have loved to have seen, like, uh, Cactus Jack from, like, 1995 versus Chris Benoit from now. Oh, my God, you know. I get a wrestling boner just thinking about it. <laughs> but, yeah, I can't see them wanting to do, to do Mick Foley and Chris Benoit at Mania. Because I don't mean to be rude to Mick. He's put on a few pounds. He's been out of the ring for most of the... If he comes fighting then, yeah, do it. Jesus, you know, I'll, I'll pay all the money in the world to see that at WrestleMania. But if All I'm saying is, if you were going to do it, isn't this how you'd get it going? You would, but it doesn't seem like that's how, that that's what they're doing, because it mm. doesn't look like Mick has been anywhere near a gym, like, within at least six months. That's it's true. He's probably been near the tubs of ice cream. I can't blame him for that one. Oh, we've all been there. Yeah, we've um, all been there. <laughs> but, but I, uh, I, um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, my, my head says like, Mick Foley, please stay retired and be happy and content and healthy in your life. And then my heart says, please wrestle Chris Benoit for me one time. Like, it's like <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I um. Well, considering who his idol is, Terry Funk. Yeah. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he did do the match at Mania. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's absolutely no credibility to that rumor apart from the fact that I've just said it out loud. Like it's based on no reports. There's no whispers of it. But I just feel like, they, like throwing that little false title change six minutes into this was like rubbish. Like it didn't help the match. It didn't help the crowd. No one bought it. And the only reason I can think logically that they would do it is because they wanted a bit more tension sowed between Benoit and Foley. And like, it's not like anything too outrageous yet, but like give it another couple of months, maybe Benoit sort of loses another couple of opportunities here or there. One day he just snaps, he attacks Foley. Foley goes away for a few months off, like off TV away. Um, goes, gets himself ring shape as much as he can comes back at like in February to build up yep. this match for, for Mania I like I like I could see it I can visualise it and like I feel like it's the type of thing like if you're going to get Mick Foley out of retirement it's going to be for something exciting and I feel like this is the type of match he would be excited about um, and if they've got plans for Benoit there's a great way to do it like um and that would be a, a great way of building him up towards that WrestleMania because like you, you've got to believe that WrestleMania will have the rock at Stan Cosby Vosting at least in the main event. Maybe even a triple H in there as well if they're gonna go that route like a triple threat type thing. But in the meantime, um you've got an undercard to build with some exceptionally talented guys on there that you need to get over and elevate. And Chris Benoit, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack is one of the ways that you could do that. It's just me trying to will it into existence. There's absolutely no... <laughs> uh, I, I personally can't see it happening, but you know, like I said, I, I've got a wrestling boner just thinking about it, you know. <laughs> yeah, but back to this match, yeah. I, I think, I've again, I've seen like one-star ratings for this online. I've seen four-star ratings for it online. I think I come down probably like right in the middle of that. I thought, yeah, the Benoit winning the title bait and switch was was poor. It was badly done and and almost like pointless. Like there was no need for it at all. Um, and then after that, it was kind of like a typical sort of like fatal four way. And like you just had like guys just sort of like two men brawling, and then they switch, and it's another two men brawling, and like there's just occasional switching of partners, and that's it. And then just sort of finish her overkill at the end. And um, yeah, it was a very sort of by the numbers. And I think it was perfectly fine, as, but not necessarily as a pay-per-view main event. And I wouldn't be surprised as if this, if this was the type of thing you saw on like a UK show, as I say. Um, so I, I, I agree with you entirely. Angle Hunter should have been the main event. And they kick it up a level in that match. Go 22 minutes if you need to. Really up the ante and put it on last. That was how I would have booked this show with keeping the card the same. And uh, that will do it for our review of the Unforgiven pay-per-view. Um, Billy, your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10? Yeah, surprising little show. Um, I kind of really enjoyed this. Um I haven't done this in a while, so it's going to be a bit of a tough to to think about 
what sort of score rating I'm going to give it. But damn it, I'm going to go high on this. I'm going to give it an 8.5. Very high. Uh, and uh, Surprisingly so, because I actually feel more deflated about it now than I Oh, do. okay. <laughs> Not massively. I still very much enjoyed the show, and I think there's a lot of positives. But I f- I'm coming off of that main event now, and I'm just thinking about it, and I feel a bit flat. But um, I'm going to look back through the card. So the opener, yeah, was absolutely fine. Um, the strap match, fine. Say we, yeah. Uh, Steve Blackman versus Perry Saturn in that. Oh, not versus Perry Saturn, but Steve Blackman pinning Perry Saturn in that hardcore Invitational Royale thing. <sighs> That's probably not great. Jericho no, next match was was a nice surprise, a decent match. The cage match was exceptional. Yep. Eddie Rikishi below average. Triple H Kurt good. Main event, fine. I think I'd probably come down at about a 7 out of 10 for that. Um, I think it proved that even the beloved Chris Craig is um, considering the build-up to Hunter and Angle and how that sort of played out and the return of Austin. But I, I do think I enjoyed this more than most. Um wasn't anything terrible. Like I said at the top, we avoided any like ridiculous nonsense on the of like a woman's angle that is like some sort of like brown panties match or something like that um and the cage match was brilliant um yeah i would have wanted more from angle and hunter especially if it is the blow off to that love triangle story but i think about seven out of ten is fine And that will do it for our WWF September 2000 coverage. Billy, thank you so much for stepping in and uh, being on the show again this month. It's been a while, but it was great to have you back on. Oh, thanks, Chris. It was great to be back on, and I, I look forward to showing up again sometime. You know, maybe we could talk about Benoit and uh, Mick Foley. At, I don't know, no way out next year. Who knows? <laughs> look, fingers crossed, all right? I, I, yeah, I, I, I know. <laughs> planted the seed in my own head now and it's going to be it's going to be one of these self-fulfilling prophecies where if it doesn't happen i'm going to be disappointed even though there was never a chance um but yeah uh i we, we'll just have to wait and see on that one but yeah it was great to have you back on um any plugs or or anything like that with uh, people on twitter oh uh, yeah you can follow me on the twitter if you really want to it's uh at billy j underscore 83 i think that's my twitter handle yeah i, I talk mostly nonsense so feel free to come and follow (laughs) me on the twitter (laughs) and i have been your host chris white thank you very much for listening um we'll have uh this is the obviously the september show we'll have the october one with you shortly in the next week or two and uh be back on schedule uh and uh Everything should be moving smoothly as we end the end of the year with a few things lined up for you over at Wrestling 20 Years Ago headquarters. So keep your eyes peeled. Follow us on Twitter, Wrestling20YRS, to keep up to date with all the news and the schedules and comings and goings and whatnot. But until next time, goodbye. Little bit with the pain that I bring, you know it's only the
Cause you're the next one in my but the kill You don't believe it but I'm betting that you will Stop, no, I'll let you live a little bit with the pain Man, I'm praying, you know it's only the beginning 